Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There is a lot going on with Georgia recruiting. I don't think you should miss any of it, so we're going to talk about that right now off the top of our program. Since we last spoke here as part of Dog Nation Daily, either the live video show yesterday morning or the recorded live podcast that you may have consumed a little bit later on. Since I last spoke to you sitting in this chair, speaking to this microphone, Georgia's actually added two commits for its 2024 class. And one of these actually kind of popped while we were doing the RS Andrews cool down on video yesterday, a kind of late morning, early afternoon. And then uh, here just this morning, very early, another one has been added in. So let's give shouts out to both these guys and then sort of talk about what this means here for a moment. Starting with Colton Heinrich here. Uh, nice graphic here. Heinrich says, blessed to join the Dog Nation. How about them dogs? So he's already got the lingo down using Dog Nation. Uh, how about them dogs? So clearly he's uh, well-versed in all of that. Also a really nice looking edit. The all-black uniform with the red helmet. That looks uh, good there as well. And one of the things I never get tired of seeing is the national championship brings the national championship trophies there in the background of course bottom left hand corner of that graphic you also see tight end tough which georgia obviously is and heinrich after having been at georgia this past weekend making the announcement his pledge for georgia right there another certainly uh trophy on the wall here for todd hartley the georgia tight ends coach who has just made such a name for himself here at UGA. And when you make a list around the country of the very best position coaches in all of college football, obviously Todd Hartley has earned a spot there on that, and Heinrich the latest example of that. I'll admit that this is a player that I've only just recently kind of gotten familiar with. There had been some chatter about him leading into this scavenger hunt uh, weekend this past, uh, you know, this past weekend. He'd been getting some attention kind of before that. You're talking about a guy that the 24-7 sports composite ranks as the number 633 player nationally, the number 31 tight end, and the number 93 player in the state of Florida. So from a ranking standpoint, you can take that down now, but from a ranking standpoint, this is a little bit different kind of player than certainly Georgia's targeted the tight end position and kind of a different player than Georgia sort of targeted overall. But at this point in time, obviously Todd Hartley has set his sights on Heinrich and Heinrich was uh, kind of quick to respond. And then in addition to that, uh, this morning you maybe uh, woke up to some good news as another player jumped on board to be a part of this 2024 class for Georgia. We're talking about Marcus Harrison here. Uh, Harris, another really good-looking edit from him, committed to the Bulldogs. And his uh, caption on Twitter said, after a conversation with Stacey Harrells and Kirby Smart, I'd like to announce that I'm 100% a Georgia Bulldog. Now, let me give you one kind of tiny aside here. This is sort of not all that important, but I – I am kind of glad to see this. And I, th I think that Drew Miller's announcement the other day sort of did this there as well. I'm sort of glad now that recruits, I think Miller did this. Obviously, Harrison does that there. They've kind of gone back to saying that they're 100% committed. I sort of feel like for a while there, we had this arms race of somebody said they were 110% committed. Then before you knew it, somebody was 10,000% committed. And eventually, you're sort of getting into like mathematical possibilities, right? You could only be 100% committed. Uh, so nice to see, you know, Harrison reflecting that and uh, uh, Miller reflecting that the other day that we're kind of back into the realm of what's mathematically possible here in terms of the uh, percentage of commitment these players have. But nonetheless, when you read the story about Harrison there at dognation.com, the one thing that jumps out to you really quickly is this is a gigantic dude. He's 6'7", six, 6'8", six, whatever it is, well in excess of 300 pounds. And 
when you're looking at, in, in uh, Harrison's case, another kind of three-star type prospect, number 606 nationally, 48 rated offensive tackle, number three player from the state of New York. When you're looking at someone kind of from that sort of three-star category, I think the thing you're looking for is if they're going to have a chance to really succeed at the college level, if they're going to have a chance to be much better than their high school recruiting ranking would suggest is likely for them, then you've got to lean on an elite trait to be able to do that. Sometimes that means uh, it's a wide receiver or something like that has an incredible level of speed. Or in the case of an offensive lineman like this, it's someone who just has gigantic size. Because ultimately, if you've got that kind of size, the height that provides great leverage for you, the weight to back that up, then that's the kind of elite trait that just gives you a chance to succeed at the college level that a smaller player doesn't necessarily have. That doesn't mean all bigger players are better, but all bigger players have an opportunity to use their size in a way the smaller player just can. And so that's kind of what you're looking for, I think, sometimes when you see that kind of three-star prospect. You're looking at someone who sort of has that elite trait. But to be completely honest here, Harrison, much like uh, Heinrich before him, is a player that, I mean, I had learned a little bit more about Heinrich the last, you know, I guess a couple of weeks leading into the scavenger hunt. Harrison, on the other hand, is not a player that I really probably felt like I knew all that much about necessarily. So if you're a UGA fan, you're trying to make sense of, okay, well, these are players that we haven't talked about as much here on Dog Nation Daily. You know, these are guys that you're only just now getting yourself acquainted with. So what does all this mean for a Georgia fan who's obviously really excited about the state of the recruiting efforts for Georgia on the heels of Dylan Rayola's commitment last week? Here's the part of this that I don't think should be missed. When you see this flurry of activity, Heinrich jumping on the chance to commit to Georgia after the scavenger hunt this past weekend, Harrison very quickly after that announcing his pledge, going public, conversation with Stacey Sarles, Kirby Smart, conversation. They give him the green light to commit, and there's no hesitancy whatsoever. There's no uh, temptation to wait. There, there's, there's this immediate need to sort of jump in on this 2024 class. I don't think you should miss the speed with which all of this is happening because speed suggests scarcity and the lack of speed would suggest the opposite of that there too. There's the old kind of cliche in recruiting that sometimes the spots are getting tight. Well, when you see guys like Heinrich and guys like Harrison leaping at the chance to commit to Georgia here, no more waiting, no more visiting, no more leveraging it for how much money can I get from here, whatever else. When you see none of that going on, when you see guys quickly jumping at the chance to be a part of this Georgia signing class, you see the sort of speed that would indicate that positions in this class are pretty scarce. And so if Heinrich and Harrison in themselves are not recruits that you necessarily you know, feel like you know all that much, the fact that they're jumping on board so quickly would lead you to believe that a lot of other guys who either haven't gone public yet or maybe haven't officially made up their mind yet, there is momentum moving these players towards the University of Georgia. Otherwise, you would have maybe more of a temptation for Heinrich or, or Harrison to sort of wait things out and sort of see, you know, do they come down off a visit high? Do they change their mind? Whatever else. The fact they're not doing that, the fact they're leaping here the chance to be a part of the Georgia class knows would, would certainly lead you to believe that they know they got to get in now or they may not be room to get in later because of just how much recruiting momentum Georgia is building. And that obviously includes some of the names we've been talking about over the course of the last couple of days. Couldn't help but notice, I guess this tweet has now been deleted, but the uh, number two prospect in the country just behind uh, uh, Dylan Raiola is Jeremiah Smith, the five-star wide receiver committed to Ohio State. But Jeremiah took his official visit to Georgia this past weekend. And as you know, 
These Ohio State fans, many of them are very thin-skinned, and I say that with all love and kindness. The truth is, is they just get their feelings hurt a lot more easily, it seems like, than we get our feelings hurt down in the SEC. Most of us have developed kind of a lot of scar tissue that we sort of expected for Georgia fans. Well, of course, Alabama or Florida, if they're able to, or somebody else, of course they're going to try to host you know, our team's commitments, and of course they're going to try to make whatever pitch they can. They're going to negative recruit against Georgia. They're going to make up stuff about Georgia. There is this sort of sense that sometimes all is fair in love and recruiting. And for those of us who kind of live down in the SEC, we've just sort of gotten used to that. Up at the Big Ten, they don't play quite like that. They don't seem to throw elbows quite as much in recruiting. You know, they don't seem to play quite as rough up there. And they get their feelings hurt a lot easier. And so a lot of Ohio State fans have apparently had their feelings very much hurt about Jeremiah Smith's official visit to Georgia. So one of the things a lot of folks noticed was that Smith put out a tweet for a minute, and I believe I was looking at his uh, feed earlier this morning. I think he's deleted this. Uh, But nonetheless, let me show you the uh, deleted tweet from uh, Jeremiah Smith, who says, I thought taking a visit was part of the recruiting process, (laughs) which only stirs up these Ohio State fans even more. Uh, They are apparently very bothered by the fact that – now, Smith's also going to visit Florida here coming up pretty soon for – reasons unbeknownst to me uh but nonetheless uh visiting uh georgia this past weekend all indications are the uh, visit for jeremiah smith went very well there georgia he seems to be enjoying his recruiting process i'm not going to sugarcoat this pulling smith away from ohio state's a very difficult challenge for uga probably you know ohio state probably recruits wide receivers as well as anyone recruits anything as well as georgia recruits various position groups you can certainly say ohio state recruits the wide receiver spot that way so we are certainly not going to pretend that it's an easy pull to wrestle jeremiah smith away from ohio state just not going to do that but nonetheless when you get him on campus when you're hosting him when he seemingly has a good time you clearly have a chance there and it's that chance that seems to bother ohio state fans so the takeaway from all this is is that there are clearly a lot of recruits who've either been at Georgia, about to be at Georgia, you know, going to come back to Georgia. There, there is clearly a lot of interest in the part of a lot of Georgia fans about some of these guys, Jeremiah Smith included. And we don't quite have the resolution of those recruiting storylines as of yet, but when you see how quickly on the heels of a scavenger hunt this weekend, ahead of a month of June that's about to be, whoa, boy, crazy for the uh, dogs. The fact that guys like you know Heinrich and Harrison are leaping at the chance to commit to Georgia, that would lead you to believe they know that coming behind them is a whole lot of recruiting momentum. And the I, I guess the overall evidence of that is the fact that there's so much happening with guys like Heinrich and Harrison here right now. Now, let me make one more kind of point about this. And then we will move off of the topic of recruiting, at least for a moment. Here is the other thing that I don't think you can miss about Georgia. And when you kind of talk about, okay, what is the thing that makes Georgia, Georgia? Obviously, we talk about recruiting. And clearly, since Kirby Smart has been here, I don't know that anybody's been better at kind of acquiring and pulling in the elite five-star talent, the very high four-star talent, the future first-round type picks in the NFL. That's clearly a bedrock foundation of what has made Georgia, Georgia. And to go along with that, there is also this development that seems to take place for UGA where guys come here and they seemingly make the most of their opportunity and Georgia earns praise for that. Think about the way in which Howie Roseman, the Philadelphia Eagles GM, has talked about Georgia being kind of a one-stop shop for everything that his NFL team needs based on how those guys are being developed there at the University of Georgia. So we credit the talent acquisition abilities of Kirby Smart, the ability to go out and win these recruiting battles. Guys like Todd Hartley doing that. Stacey Sarrell's doing that now. We credit the development that takes place for these guys while they're at Georgia. You couldn't win two straight national championships if you weren't doing that. But y'all, I think the thing that we still don't quite fully appreciate about Georgia is 
There is a scouting element for UGA that I just think is a huge part of what has made the dogs so successful. And I don't think that Kirby Smart and these Georgia coaches talk about this very much because, frankly, this might be one of those sort of secret things they want to keep secret because pretty clearly, whether you want to cite Jordan Davis or Javon Bullard or even a guy that's no longer here like an A.D. Mitchell, Georgia has found diamonds in the rough for players who, from the word go, were immediately better their recruiting ranking would have suggested. Now, I'm not telling you that's what Heinrich's going to be or Harrison's going to be, but if a program like Georgia is interested in you, that is obviously far more important than whatever your recruiting ranking is because for Georgia, the proof is in the pudding. Now, it's an old story, an old cliche down here in the SEC that if my program takes a three-star, that means he's a diamond in the rough, and if your program takes a three-star, that means you're not very good at recruiting. I realize that's kind of a cliche and sort of an old, tired debate, but at Georgia, there is enough evidence to suggest that if Georgia's going out and getting these kinds of guys, then it truly believes they must be pretty good. And given the fact that Georgia has identified diamonds in the rough of the three-star variety before, then Georgia's opinion on this carries a whole lot of weight. But more importantly than that, as we said a moment ago, that this appears to be kind of the early ripples of a big tide that's about to roll in with major recruits announcing their pledge here to the University of Georgia. With a lot of exciting recruiting weekends on tap for this summer, the recruiting momentum that Georgia has right now is seemingly obvious. Dylan Rayla got it started, and there are many more big names who appear to be on the way. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by... Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. Live on video every morning, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, dognation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're on the radio at noon on App and Sports Radio 960. The Ref. We're available as a podcast, Apple, Spotify, all kinds of podcast platforms, including posting the show each and every day on the world-famous dognation.com. We just really appreciate you choosing to watch or listen to the show somehow, whichever way works for you. We're just glad it does, and we're glad to have you with us. Big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll make it all possible there as well. Jay and the entire team over there, big UGA fans, they love it when good things happen for Georgia because they're proud partners of UGA. And I love telling the story of a company like this that's been so supportive of UGA. It's just kind of fun to do business with those that support the dogs. But I'm especially appreciative for those of you who support Engineered Solutions of Georgia there as well because they are longtime loyal partners of ours here at Dog Nation Daily there as well. They've been as good a friend to us as anybody has. And I couldn't do this show each and every day. Couldn't, uh, you know, sit in the studio and have all these resources available for me to communicate with you, if not for great sponsors like our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. So I truly appreciate them, and I appreciate all of you for your support of them, especially if you find yourself as a homeowner in need of a foundation issue or a waterproofing issue when you've got those problems around your house trust our friends at engineered solutions of georgia because the word solution is right there in their name they are a solutions-based company because they know if you're a homeowner these are kinds of problems that can kind of keep you up at night and kind of keep you worried uh have you concerned but what you find out is when you reach out to our friends there sometimes it's a more simple fix than you realize they can tell you to go to the hardware store and pick up a whatever and that'll take care of whatever you need in other cases, though, the work is more substantial and all the more reason to trust Engineered Solutions of Georgia for that because they have got an entire team of engineers on staff. There's nobody else in our marketplace that can put that level of resource to work for you to solve your foundation and waterproofing issue. So trust our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And if you see cracks in the walls, some sort of unsettled situation down in the floor of your basement or something like that, or water creeping in where it's not supposed to be, I want that to be a cue to you. Oh, yeah, BA was talking about Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Maybe it's time to reach out and give them a call. The good news is phone number could not be easy to remember. Simply dial 678-ESOG-NOW. 
That's 678-ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to speak to Connor Riley here today. That is always a lot of fun. Prior to that, I'm going to do a couple of things. First of all, allow me to give some housekeeping update for you here for a moment. We're obviously entering into kind of a summertime of year, and for many of you, that means a chance to take some vacation. I am very lucky in the fact that next week I get the chance to sort of step away and have a little bit of vacation with my family there as well. We are really looking forward to that, and obviously that prevents me from being here live doing the show with you. So let me give you an idea how next week is going to work. So Monday is Memorial Day, and obviously We'll be uh, certainly thinking about those who have given their lives in support of our country and the freedoms we enjoy. Memorial Day, a very important day on the calendar. It's also a holiday, and in some respects, it's kind of the kickoff unofficial to the to the summer season. And traditionally, we have not had a show on Memorial Day because of that. And this upcoming Monday, we will have no show, no pre-record, no show. We'll just be off on Monday for Memorial Day. We'll also be off on the 4th of July coming up uh, there as well. Those are a couple of summer holidays we essentially take off and don't have a show Monday Memorial Day will be an example of that and hope you get a chance to be off yourself and obviously you know uh, thinking about the things that have made our country great but of course enjoying that time with family friends everything else I hope you get a chance to do that on Monday then after that Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday of next week those four days I'm going to be taking some vacation and we have a great collection of pre-recorded shows that are going to be airing for you. We've been working on these a little bit. I've also invited you to be a part of this there as well. If you follow me on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily, uh, one of the things I asked yesterday is for some bold predictions involving Georgia football, some bold predictions. I'm going to share some of your answers to that next week. Uh, looking forward to being able to do that. Uh, gonna gonna share those uh, next week as a part of something we're gonna be doing. We're gonna be asking a lot of our Dog Nation guests to sort of give us some uh, bold predictions next week. You're gonna get a chance to do that. I'm gonna weigh in on that there as well. This is gonna kind of serve as a little bit of a season preview for us. I think it's gonna be a really fun thing to do. So no show Monday because of Memorial Day. Pre-recorded Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week. I'm enjoying a little bit of vacation time, and then I'll look forward to being back with you uh, after that the uh, following week. We've got a great summer coming up here, Dog Nation and Dog Nation Daily. We've got some fun giveaways we're going to be doing. We've got some incredible content we're going to be sharing. It's going to be an awesome, awesome summer here, heading towards the Go for Three and 23 mission that'll be here before you know it. So all of that said, before we talk to Connor Riley, let's get ready to go around the doghouse here for a moment. And yesterday, there was an example of something that just sort of happens in the summertime of year that doesn't really happen any other time where a fairly innocuous statement from time to time kind of turns into a little bit of a big deal. And I've said this before. College football is the shortest season. There is just less actual action in our sport. NBA hockey, these are 80-plus game schedules. The uh, NFL now plays a 17-game regular season schedule to say nothing of the playoffs. Major League Baseball is 162 games. You know, NASCAR goes from February to November. You know, other sports are just longer than ours is. And so we have a lot more off-season to try to pass the time. And one of the ways in which we do that, probably the main way in which we do that is we just come up with stuff to argue about. You know, we argue about Stetson Bennett's college diploma. We argue about Jalen Hurts getting his master's from Oklahoma. We argue about who has the best college football game day environment and ultimately stuff like this is just really subjective there's really no obvious answer to it and some of this sort of depends on when you're at what stadium what you happen to see that particular day but nonetheless we're football fans we're college football fans and this is what we do we argue about stuff we even make up stuff to argue about we'll make lists and things like that because it's just kind of fun to do that arguing about college football is sort of part of the sport 
And so there's a statement made. Uh, there's a barstool show. It's called, if you know what barstool sports is, uh, it's called uh, unnecessary roughness, or I forget necessary rough, unnecessary roughness. It's something to do with roughness. Uh, it's 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 a play on unnecessary roughness. And uh, one of the hosts, Brandon Walker. Brandon's a guy I used to know a little bit, uh, but he was saying something about. Um, Sanford Stadium not being a good game day environment. The host that he was working with kind of chimed in. She sort of expressed a similar opinion. And this got a lot of Georgia fans pretty fired up. We have a new development in this story. So as a way of kind of setting up this, let me let you hear the uh, barstool commentary that kind of got some Georgia fans pretty fired up. This is just from the other day. Georgia fans are not satisfied having the best coaches, the best players. They're not satisfied winning national titles. They also are now doing this movement where Sanford Stadium is the best stadium in the country. Have you seen that? They're not just now doing it. To not forget that of all the takes that I had last year, and I went it with so many different fan bases, the Georgia fans were so mad at me about saying that Stanford Stadium is not the loudest stadium and that home field advantage there is not near as big as other places. They keep saying that, that Georgia's Sanford Stadium is better than Tiger Stadium. No, it's not No, close. it's not, and that's not, and Georgia fans, listen loud and clear, that is not an insult. Sanford Stadium is not a top five stadium in the Southeastern Conference. No, it's it's not. just not. It's, it's behind not. LSU. It's behind Tennessee. It's behind Auburn. It's behind AM. It's behind the swamp. Like it's behind those comfortably. So I talked yesterday about why I thought that was obviously wrong, and I don't really feel much of a need to rehash what I said there. I think the facts are clearly on Georgia fan side if they want to argue for the kind of environment that Sanford Stadium has been over the course of the last couple of years. My only reason for even like replaying this is because we have kind of a new development in this. So Georgia's official football Twitter account yesterday, and listen, this could have just been a coincidence. This just could have been whatever. But Georgia's uh, uh, <laughs> official football Twitter account yesterday put out something that actually works pretty well as a retort to this particular conversation if that's the way you want to take it. Let me show you this from Georgia football on Twitter. Uh, pretty picture of Sanford Stadium. My gosh, how good does this this uh, campus look on game day? Rolling hills of northeast Georgia, 93,000 packed between the hedges, everybody making noise, everybody being loud. And the uh, caption here from Georgia football on Twitter is, Thinking about the best atmosphere in college football, dot, dot, dot. So we'll never really know. Was that meant to be a response to the Barstool thing, or was that just happened to be a coincidence? But I think deep down we kind of know that's George with its own response there. And to kind of wrap up this conversation, here's what I'll tell you. It's interesting to hear from Brandon Walker there at the beginning of that from Barstool, this idea of Georgia fans aren't content just to have the best team. Now they want the best stadium too. And this is the thing that is going to make Georgia fans, I believe, really tough to deal with over the course of the next however many years you want to go to in the future and we've said this down the heels of both georgia national championships the georgia fans were talking trash and they were obnoxious before winning all these titles now that georgia's winning at the level that it is right now things are about to get even worse and this is the expectation from georgia and it's not just the fans that drive this it's kirby smart who drives this there as well that there really is an expectation at georgia that now georgia will have and be the best of everything that in 2021 it won a national championship because it maybe had the best defense of all time. But it wasn't content just to be best defense. It also has worked to create an offense that's actually as potent and as dynamic and as aggressive as what Georgia has been on defense. And future years, that's going to be even more true. Georgia, who had had the best defense and kind of the best overall team, but maybe not the best quarterback. Well, now it's got Dylan Riola coming in the future there as well. Another example of in the future that Georgia really does expect to have the best of everything, and that includes the best game day environment there too. So this time of year when all these things get ranked up, hey, who's got the best whatever? Who's got the best this? 
Georgia, I think now, rightly expects to be the best across the board at everything. And they don't want to leave anything else for any other team to sort of claim as their own or, or, or use as some sort of claim to fame there. So I realize that comes across as obnoxious, but that is the world in which Georgia currently lives. And that is certainly the world in which Georgia fans live there as well. So in all future arguments about all future facets of college football, Georgia rightly expects to be the best across the board. And there's very little evidence to suggest they're anything other than that right now. That is around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily here today. So we got a fun conversation coming up here right now. It's Connor Riley. A lot to dive into, including all of this sudden recruiting momentum for Georgia. Exactly what does it mean? What does it suggest about other big names who could be on the way? What do you say we have that conversation right now, plus a whole lot of other fun there too? Always great to have Connor as a part of what we're doing, including today here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Always love talking to Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Truly a uh, treat to be able to do that today as well. And Connor, I want to get into the recruiting stuff, and I want to get into a really good story that you had at DogNation.com the other day there as well. But let's put a bow on this topic for a minute there too. I talked to John Stinchcomb about this yesterday. So I'm obviously a good bit older than you are. I can probably go back and cite a time in my life when I don't think the Sanford Stadium game day environment was as intense as maybe I wished it was or maybe it could have been. And we can probably cite examples of why that might be. First of all, Georgia wasn't nearly as good then as it is now. That may be the the number one example, uh, number one reason why that was the case. But even relative to how good Georgia was back then, I don't know that the on-campus stadium atmosphere was even equal to that at times. But Somewhere over the course of the last 20 years or so, and I think this really does predate Kirby Smart, somewhere over the course of the last 20 years or so, I think this has dramatically started to change. And obviously in the Smart era, I do put the on-campus atmosphere, not just the tailgating, but the actual loudness of the crowd, the intensity of the environment. I put it on par with uh, anywhere I've been, and I've been just about everywhere. Uh, and I'm guessing you probably agree with that. What do you think of Sanford Stadium as an on-campus environment, as a as an intense game day atmosphere? Yeah, I mean, I started going there to games in 2012, and you know, you, you think back over the time, uh, you know, LSU in 2013, Auburn in 2014, even those predate Kirby Smart coming to Georgia. Those were electric atmospheres, as loud as. Now I wasn't at the 2013 LSU game, but. Uh, those atmospheres were as loud as any that I've been to in my time covering SEC football. And like the thing you got to understand about Barstool and what they've had to say about it, uh, you know, like I used to work with Brandon Walker. I know who Brandon Walker is. You know, he's saying things to get a reaction, and, and Georgia's the top program right now. And, and so it's easy to sort of try and take shots at Georgia and, you know, try and make them seem not all they're cracked up to be. Uh, you know, this is something similar that Alabama went through the past decade. But I think the college football internet, not to go too inside inside baseball here, but the college football internet is so much more, I think, developed and, and publicly available than it was, say, maybe 10 years ago. And so, you know, because Georgia is the proverbial top dog when it comes to this, you know, people are going to try and find cracks and, and poke at things there. Uh, you know, like, Look, I haven't been to a game at Ben Hill Griffith Stadium, but I'm sorry, but there's just no way that, you know, with a team that's not playing in very many big games, is having the same same type of atmosphere that we saw, not just, you know, obviously the Tennessee game last year, but Arkansas in 2021, um, Texas A&M in 2019. Those are readily big games. 
And yes, I think even in these last couple of years, Georgia has taken it to another level. But part of this whole thing too is just it, it, it's a symptom of Georgia's the best program in college football right now, and people are just naturally going to take shots at it to try and knock it down. Yeah, we said this yesterday that you know if you're going to try to do a, a big show and have a big audience, then you have to have an opinion about Georgia. And there's very little to say about Georgia on the field right now. In fact, we're going to do something next week on just even the anonymous coaches have finally sort of bent the knee on Georgia, which I think is kind of funny. Well, we're going to get to that at some point next week, but, but you know, the only thing left now is to sort of, well, what about the fans? What about the atmosphere? Cause that's about all there is left. And let me kind of show you one more theory on this. And like I said, this kind of predates you. Uh, so maybe, you know, maybe this won't mean as much to you as it does to me, but here's the thing that I think really kind of brought Georgia fans to the forefront. And really, I think kind of made them understand just how impactful they could be. If you want to go back to early two thousands, this is like early days of internet, I don't know that the blogosphere was fully established then. We were certainly many years away from social media kind of being a thing. But, you know, ESPN was traveling around. They were doing game day on-campus locations. You know, they were doing the Saturday night show with, like, Mark May and Lou Holtz. And so there was this awareness each and every Saturday of programs being compared with each other, atmospheres being compared. And I think that Georgia fans – realize that you know each and every big time college campus has a little bit of a spotlight on it and that people are going to be paying attention to what you're doing is your team winning or losing are you the fans creating a really good atmosphere and I think the growth of ESPN is kind of a I don't know kind of a I guess sort of a touchstone for what's happening in college football I think that sort of brought Georgia fans to the forefront in a way they didn't you know probably weren't prior to to ESPN kind of exploding with its college football coverage and I think that kind of caused Georgia to sort of step up and say hey what kind of atmosphere do we want to be and so you saw that mid 2000s early 2000s you saw that in some of those seasons because I think a lot of Georgia fans realized because the way that ESPN was covering college football that there were a lot of people paying attention and so we better make this atmosphere as good as it can possibly be right uh, you know 2007 Auburn jumps to mind there and well, I mean look the reality is you know Georgia wasn't a great program in the 90s, and most of the people that are speaking and have national platforms now, you know, the 90s were their formative years in, in college football in terms of being a fan, and you just sort of remember those experiences first. And so that's why I, I think, for example, you see a lot of people talking all the time about, you know, when is Nebraska going to be back? Well, in my lifetime, Nebraska has really never been all that good, especially certainly from a, a cognitive standpoint. So, like, this idea that like Nebraska needs to be good or, you know, in Florida, I think falls in that example as well, even though obviously they found more sustained success in the 2000s. Uh, it just sort of speaks to, you know, the way that college football sort of is right now and how, how it'll change going forward. You know, uh, you know, 10 years from now when people my age are more sort of in your types of chairs and things like that, like Oregon's going to be seen in a similar vein to the way, you know, they talk about Nebraska and things like that. And so, you know, it's so much of this, it's not about Stanford Stadium anymore. Any Georgia fan that I think goes to a game knows that. Anyone that has been to a game there in the last two seasons would find it pretty hard to argue that that's not an electric atmosphere. But, you know, people are going to try and, and spout their opinions, and that just sort of speaks to, you know, where we are in the world right now. Yeah, no doubt. Even the time of year, you know, people are a little bit more willing to jump on stuff like this this time of year because we're just sort of looking for something to argue about. Uh, something that's not going to create much of an argument at all, though, is the current state of Georgia recruiting. Two commitments since we were last on the air yesterday. Obviously, Colton Heinrich, the tight end, uh, Marcus Harrison, the offensive lineman. And the point that I made before you joined us, Connor, is 
is the speed with which all this is happening sort of suggests that old cliche about recruiting, which spots are tight right now. People know you better jump now. Otherwise, there may not be a place to jump to uh, with this 2024 class for Georgia moving forward. So even though Heinrich and Harrison in their own right are not, not, not necessarily names we have spent a bunch of time talking about, I do think it suggests there could be good news coming sooner rather than later with some of the recruits that we have paid very close attention to because I think it's pretty unmissable right now there is just a great deal of recruiting momentum for Georgia on the heels of the Dylan Riola commitment last week do you agree with that right yeah and this marks I think a change that we've sort of seen maybe a little bit in Georgia recruiting in the past couple years because traditionally under Kirby Smart they've been a team that does a lot of their work late in terms of landing big time signees commitments and things like that and with the advent of NIL with with the way the recruiting calendar is set up now with official visits being in the month of June in May as well, I think you're more incentivized to get guys in early and, and make sure they're a part of your class. And I think that's what Colton Heinrich and Marcus Harrison sort of represent. Now, they're not the superstar, you know, five-star type guys, but they're guys that Georgia has had on campus. They've had them work out. And we've heard Kirby Smart talk enough about the importance of those visits and the importance of those workouts and being around in those circumstances and so I, I think this is something you're going to continue to see, that, especially with Georgia, this recruiting calendar getting sped up. You know, Justin Tell wrote a story about it last week. You've got now sort of, all right, late April, May, those are your evaluation periods. You're going out, you're checking these guys out, you're seeing what they look like in person. June is the big visit month. And then July, and really before these guys start their high school senior seasons, for most of them, they're going to have the decision made, and Georgia's really going to know by that point in time sort of where their class is in terms of what they need. And so you know, Kirby Smart has talked about in the past, you know, this class, the, the current class that they're putting together, it's not specifically for like the next year, but it's a few years down the road. And so you land two sort of guys that might be more developmental prospects, but I don't know how you see what Kirby Smart has done with guys who in the past have been developmental type prospects and not see the success that they had with them. I also think, and I talked about this a little bit yesterday too, where it seems like there's just a lot less drama around recruiting than, and I don't know if this is going to be for the long haul or not, but for the moment, certainly it seems like there's a lot less drama around recruiting than there would have been in the past. You know, Dylan Riola made no bones about the fact that he was trending towards UGA. He eventually announced the commitment, but it's almost like he didn't really need to because he was essentially already operating as if he was in the 2024 class. You know, he comes to Georgia this weekend. Instead of like whining and dining and steak and lobster, it's, you know, it's a workout over at Jefferson High School where, you know, guys are participating in football football players playing football they don't just like the idea of being football players they apparently really like football that that you know you just sort of see a much more business-like approach I think for a lot of recruits in this class as it relates to Georgia you know Heinrich and Harrison may be an example of that in their own right of hey there's no need to wait there's no need to contemplate you know uh I'm the kind of player that wants what Georgia can provide me I'm the kind of player that believes I can handle the rigor with which Georgia is going to ask me to participate and I think that's kind of a refreshing thing here, too, that, that it just sort of seems like there's a very business-like approach being taken to this 2024 class right now. Yeah, and I think a lot of that stems back to Riola. And, look, like it's been a while since Georgia has had a quarterback-type recruit. You know, the Pied Piper thing I think gets overplayed sometimes. But with these super elite guys, uh, which Riola sort of occupies because of his talents, uh, there's sort of a, a different sort of mindset that these guys sort of take after that quarterback. And while, yes, Brock Vandergriff was a five-star quarterback in the 2021 cycle, that cycle was so weird with, with COVID and whatnot and what guys were able to do and, and prospects just being able to see each other. That was a little different. So you'd really probably have to go back to, say, Justin Fields 
in the 2018 signing class for Georgia to really see the last time that Georgia had this sort of effect of you've got your big-time quarterback, and he sort of sets the tone for the rest of the recruiting class, and it worked out to great results for Georgia in 2018, even with Justin moving on after his freshman season. A lot of the guys that they brought in in that 2018 class, B.A., you know this as well as anyone, they formed the backbone of that first national championship team, and, and so that is where, on the recruiting trail, you know, having a guy like Rayola to be the face, to be the leader of your class, and sort of help you get your ducks in a row, it's one thing to have that ability as a coach, and obviously Kirby Smart does, but to get that from a player side as well, I think it's just so huge for what Georgia is trying to build with this recruiting class. No, I think that's exactly right. Uh, you had a really good story the other day looking at, you know, kind of Dylan Riola being the next in line of five-star quarterbacks who've been here at Georgia. Obviously, the first of those was Jacob Eason, who was a commit before Kirby got here, but Georgia really had to re-win that uh, battle to get Eason here. And then you're talking about a Justin Fields, and then you're going to talk about, a, you know, obviously JT Daniels, who kind of transferred in here. You know, how do you think the Dylan Riola story kind of fits into the overall narrative of what Georgia has, and in some cases hasn't done, with five-star quarterbacks in the past? Yeah, I, I'm not sure all the Dog Nation uh, readers and listeners would agree that it was a good article, but I, I mean, I think one, it just it speaks to the reality of how hard it is to predict success at the quarterback position because you know all those guys flashed, and, and uh, I believe except for Daniels and Vandergrift, who were still in college, you know, Fields was a, a first round pick, and, and Easton was a fourth round pick as well. So there is clearly some level of talent there that those guys had, but for whatever reason, they couldn't necessarily get it to translate onto the field for Georgia. And there's a chance that, you know, that, that turns out to be the case with Dylan. And, you know, Georgia's got another really talented quarterback in this class and Ryan Puglisi as well that they feel very confident in what he's going to bring along with, you know, Brock Vandergriff to possibly still be around, as could Gunnar Stockton. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, five-star quarterbacks, obviously they draw a lot of attention. Uh, and, you know, at Georgia, look, on that aspect, in one sense, like, sure, you haven't had the five-star quarterback go on to be a first-round draft pick. And, and, yes, there is, I believe, some value in that. But, like, they're the one two straight national championships. And, and so I think it sort of speaks to what Kirby Smart is building. And while, yes, it's nice to have elite quarterback talents because we've seen, you know, in semi-recent years, you know, Joe Burrow, uh, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, having an elite quarterback can help you overcome some other issues of your roster. But – Georgia and Kirby Smart, I think, have really tried and succeeded in quarterback-proofing their roster. And while, yes, Stetson Bennett was a huge reason why Georgia won a national championship last year, the 2021 team, I don't necessarily believe that that was the case. And so I think Kirby wants to build a team that is not necessarily dependent on a quarterback. And while having a guy like Dylan Raiola is a huge luxury, I think you're going to still see that continue. And just because Raiola is the superstar talent, He's not going to be the sole or biggest reason Georgia wins a national, another national title if he is on campus and, and does so as the team's quarterback. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that there's a tendency to sort of get the Ryla thing wrong on both sides. On the one hand, there are some people who probably would view him because he's a five-star, because he's you know the number one recruit in the country. Therefore, he's a can't-miss prospect, and ultimately there really isn't a, such a thing as a can't-miss prospect in college football. Even for someone like uh, Riolo, who has a prodigious skill set, nothing is guaranteed. And on the other side of that, Connor, there's also the kind of cynicism that kind of creeps in because people remember the Justin Field stuff. Or they remember JT Daniels not quite living up to his five-star billing or you know whatever you want to cite. I think Jacob Eason's probably an example of that too. And so therefore, they have a tendency to think, oh, we've heard of these five-star quarterbacks before. They're overrated. Uh, 
I think there's a tendency to get this wrong on both sides, that obviously the chances of Ryola being successful are greater than just a typical quarterback because of the fact that the rating's not kind of pulled out of thin air. But on the other hand, you know, nothing is guaranteed and you can't be certain of anything, even for someone like Ryola, whose success I think is more probable, uh, you know, probable does not round up to a guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, I think we've even seen it this spring with Arch Manning in the way, I don't want to say torn down, but the way he's been talked about and discussed there. And so there are no, you know, I think you're right to point out there are no guarantees. Uh, you know, as many as many five stars as Georgia has signed, not every one of them works out. And look, there have been people that have gone back and done the research. You know, 50% roughly of five-star prospects, you know, probably don't end up working out and being the players that people thought they were going to be. I believe, what, like 40% of uh, like 2019 five-stars have been first-round picks so far. So, you know, that, that's the big thing to keep in mind with five-star discussion as well. It's not necessarily, hey, this is who's going to be a great college player. It's who's got the traits to possibly be a first-round draft pick. And, and those two things don't always line up and, and meet eye-to-eye. You know, there are a long list of great college football players who just, you know, didn't have the, the size, speed, whatever, to make it in the NFL. But that doesn't take away from what they did at the college level. Conversely, they're just guys who are better suited to have better skills that translate to the NFL game. And so I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to five-star prospects, and, and not just quarterbacks, but all of them in general. You know, there are some guys, you know, uh, Dominic Blaylock comes to mind, even though obviously injuries sidetracked his career. You know, he wasn't, by definition, at the end of his cycle, a five-star prospect. But when he came on the campus, you know, there weren't 31 or 32 better freshman uh, college football players that year than Dominic Blaylock. And so I think that's something where, keep in mind with those rankings and the way that those guys are divvied up, like that's, that's what it's for. It's not for determining, hey, who's going to be a great college football player. All right, before I let you go, I want you to do something for me here. I don't have a fancy graphic for this, but um... – you and I were talking a little bit off the air this week. You know, next week while I'm on vacation, we're going to have a little bit of a theme around the show. We're going to look at some bold predictions, and I've invited Georgia fans to share some of their bold predictions for the upcoming season. And you gave me a great list of bold predictions yesterday. So, Connor, I'm going to give you the floor here. You can share as many of these as you want to just to kind of set the stage for sort of the fun conversation we're going to have uh, next week and because you've clearly got the right idea when it comes to bold predictions. Now, not every bold prediction is going to come true. That's why it's bold. If it was an easy prediction, it wouldn't be quite so bold. So you, I think, have got a great template for what a bold prediction sort of feels like. So uh, give us a couple of these if you don't mind. Yeah, so I've got, I, I would say, three and a half okay. bold predictions. And I'm going to start – I'm going to start with the one that, you know, I'm going to make a weird little sandwich here. But we're going to go, a Georgia defensive back is going to win the Thorpe Awards. Okay. I don't know which one it's going to be, but I think they've got three great candidates in Kamari Lasseter, Javon Bullard, and Malachi Starks. Again, don't know which one it's going to be, but I think with what they have on this defense this year, I think you're going to get another Thorpe Award winner with what they have in the secondary there. Two, this is going to be a sensitive subject to some. Georgia's really going to wish they had Justice Haynes. Specifically, I think if you put him on this team, I don't think that there is any sort of discussion about, you know, can this team really 3 P Because I think that running back position is the one where I have big concerns. And, look, you saw it. You called his last high school game. That kid is a stud, and yep. he's going to make plays for Alabama. Yep. The half, and I, I can't fully make this, but I think there's a real chance that we never see another Kirby Smart-Nick Saban game. And the reason being, you know, I just don't know if Alabama is going to get to the SEC championship game this year. And so while I think that, you know, Nick Saban has a really strong freshman class that he brought in and he's going to want to stick around, 
for a few years to see that group develop. I do think that there's a world where if the schedule doesn't line up properly, you know, Georgia might have to wait a few years to play Alabama again, and who knows if Nick Saban is still around there. And then the last one, by the end of this season, Brock Bowers will be the undisputed best player in Georgia football history. And by that, I mean he will have led Georgia in receiving once again. He will be a first-team All-American, probably a Max Award winner as well. I think Georgia's going to possibly win another national championship. He's going to be, I think, on offense the biggest reason why. And I think when you look at the totality of his career at that point, you know, three national championships potentially, three, I believe, All-American honors, two Mac, two-time Mackey Award winner as best player at his position in college football. Pretty much from the moment he stepped on campus, he was one of the best players. And when you factor in the winning and the impact that he had on Georgia's offense, I don't think there's going to be a case to be made for Herschel Walker anymore. And, and so it's the, and Herschel obviously had a fantastic career. He deserves to be honored for what he did as a college football player. But I think with the season Brock Bowers is capable and going to have, I don't think there's going to be much of a debate after the season anymore who the best Georgia Bulldog of all time is. Connor, those are fascinating, bold predictions. It's exactly what we're looking for, and Georgia fans have been sharing theirs with us there too. So it's going to make for a fun series of shows next week. Let me make one response to one of yours. Now I could talk for hours about all of them. Let me make one response to one of yours uh, that just kind of jumps off to me. Looking at your prediction about a Georgia defensive back winning the Thorpe Award, I think as a fan, if I could wish the Thorpe Award on someone – I'd probably wish it on Kamari Lassiter because I sort of expect the Georgia safety situation to be pretty good, uh, you know, between, you know, a year older Malachi Starks and kind of a position shifting uh, Javon Bullard here. So I feel pretty good about the Georgia safety position. Therefore, if Lassiter were to play at a kind of a best defensive back in the country type level over there at cornerback, that to me is the is the kind of positional growth, player growth, personal growth for, a, for an individual player that might have the single largest impact on Georgia collectively as a team. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and, and the reason I think Kamari might right now have the best odds to do it if I'm you know, making a, an odds list, the only thing that would maybe make, lead me to believe that they don't do that is maybe just teams decide they don't ultimately want to throw at Kamari uh, because he's, I think, as talented as Georgia has had at a, at a cornerback he belongs. Uh, he's a really mentally sharp player. He's going to be a guy who's a captain for this team this year. And he, the biggest reason I think that why he might not win it is that just teams don't elect to try and throw at him and target him in coverage. And I think that, in response, could end up leading him to, to not necessarily getting the attention or their stats that would warrant a, uh, a Thorpe Award. And then very quickly, since you brought up the Kirby uh, Saban thing, which I think is a really fun, bold prediction, the idea they may never coach against each other again just based on, you know, this kind of being the potential end for Nick Saban. Here's what I'll tell you about Alabama. And the more I look into this, the more I kind of come to this conclusion. Connor, college ball has a way of surprising us. You know, sometimes things end up being way different than we think they're going to be. But that doesn't always happen. There are moments in which things work out exactly the way that we think they're going to. And this could be one of those situations here for Alabama where right now on paper, it just sort of seems like they've got some problems. And sometimes college football does work out the way that you think it might. And sometimes what we see take place during the fall is sort of foreshadowed during the summer. This really may not be an, a, a college football playoff level Alabama team. This may not be a SEC contending level Alabama team. What appears true on face value, Connor, that may just be the truth. And this is not what the Crimson Tide has been. And maybe that does suggest, you know, Saban kind of nearing the end here. It may just be as cut and dry as that. Right. They've got to replace both their coordinators this year, and that's not going to be easy. And it sounds like in addition to replacing coordinators, 
they're going to be structurally changing what they do on the offensive side of the ball. And, look, there's a lot of talent there. I just talked about Justice Haynes. You know, maybe they're able to finally figure out that offensive line, which has been well-recruited, but it hasn't played up to its potential, in my opinion, the last two years, and that's a big reason why I don't think Alabama won a national title in either of those two seasons. You know, they've got some promising guys at the wide receiver position, but they've ultimately got to go out there and make plays. And, look, the reality is with Alabama in recent years, this hasn't been a defensive first team. And so I think, you know, if there's a commitment to getting back to that, maybe this whole thing changes. But, you know, they're a team that just has not won with their defense in recent years. And I don't know if that's something that you can change on a dime in one season. And so I'll be really interested in seeing how they go about doing that this season. Connor, uh, really good stuff. I appreciate that. Uh, great discussion here, and I know it kept you long, but a uh, really fun conversation. Thanks for doing it with us here on uh, Dog Nation Daily presented by SOG. It's really great to have you here, and uh, we'll look forward to obviously getting a chance to do this again very soon there as well. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure, B. Ed. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think that's really good. Uh, it's an example of what bowl predictions are. Uh, not bold predictions, B-O-W-L, but bold, B-O-L-D, bold predictions are. And um, the Alabama thing is, is is very interesting. And obviously, you know, to, to make a prediction about a Thorpe Award winner, very interesting. What Connor says about Brock Bowers, we may pull out and kind of do as a little bit of a separate thing too because I've got a bold prediction as it relates to Bowers, my overall take on that, slightly different than his is. So we'll kind of cover that a lot in the days to come. But, you know, as I said before, this is what the sport of college football is. Part of the sport is sort of arguing, staking your claim on a hot take, staking your claim on kind of a bold projection or bold, you know, uh, prediction or something like that. That's just what we do, right? We uh, we share those kinds of things, and that's why shows like this are, for me at least, a lot of fun. Hopefully, it is for you there as well. But really good stuff from Connor Riley on all of that. All right, I've got some SEC through stuff I want to get to, including a little bit of an update on some of the games that really matter begin this year's season we'll get to that here in a moment prior to that though let us go cruiser on the sec courtesy of royal caribbean now next week i am taking some vacation time but i am not going to be on a royal caribbean cruise vacation at least not yet next week i'm just sort of not at work uh but uh looking forward to having a royal caribbean cruise vacation you're coming up very soon and i'd invite you to be excited about the same kind of thing here because having something to look forward to is just one of the best things in life and this time of year you know kids are almost out of school it seems like in some cases work kind of slows down a little bit for some of us during the summer just having that great summer experience is just so much fun and there's really no better experience you can have than a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. That's true if you're taking one of these three or four night sailings that go to the Bahamas, or maybe you're taking one of these seven night sailings that are visiting some of the great other ports like Jamaica or, or St. Thomas or uh, obviously Labadee private destination there in Haiti. Many of you are getting excited about a Royal Caribbean cruise to Alaska and the chance to go out and see some of that. That's something I've never actually gotten a chance to do before, but at some point in time, I hope I get a chance to. Well, when I do, you better believe I'm going to use Jessica Slater, terrific travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to help book up this Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. She's got you covered on all of that. I was actually spending some time yesterday. One of the things that I guess is kind of weird about me, I'm not super active on Facebook, to be honest with you. I have a Facebook account. But I don't really go on Facebook very much, but I was kind of on our, we had a Dog Nation Cruise Facebook uh, group, I guess you would call it. I was kind of spending some time on there and looking at all the fun photos from the recent Dog Nation Cruise. Just reminds me of how much fun all that was. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to sail with some of you here sometime in the future. And hopefully you'll get a chance to experience the fun that so many of us got a chance to experience on board with Royal Caribbean for our Dog Nation Cruise. Kind of a great thing. All right, so as, as we go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here, 
there's a little bit of an update from our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook on some of these week one point spread lines. Now, many of you don't care about gambling. I can certainly understand that, and you have every right not to care about that. But what we say is, is that point spreads are interesting projections. If you're kind of trying to get a sense of what the common opinion is about how a game might turn out, point spreads are a pretty good reflection of some of that. And so I have a little bit of an update to provide you here uh, from our friends at the DraftKings. So Vanderbilt, after just absolutely blasting Hawaii a year ago, gets a chance to play them again this year. They're an 18.5-point favorite this time. Uh, I think that's a home game. I think that's a, no, a home game. Maybe maybe Vanderbilt's going back there again. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but you look at week one. Here's where things get kind of interesting. So Florida going to Utah. Very tough week one type game. We've said this before. you got this kind of sandwich here of Florida playing a uh, tough week one game against Utah, concluding the regular season with a very tough in-state rivalry game against Florida State, and a bunch of SEC in the middle. That is a tough slate there for Florida. And they've kind of hovered kind of just under 10 points or at 10 points of being an underdog there in Salt Lake City. Right now, a Gator is being listed as a nine-and-a-half-point underdog against Utah. We thought last All right, I think we're back now. Sorry about that. Not quite sure what happened there. We're talking about Florida, nine-and-a-half-point underdog there against Utah. Sorry for the uh, hiccup there on that. Hopefully you have stayed with us throughout all of that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but nonetheless, the point is, is that we thought that Florida last year was going to beat Utah at home because it's frankly just not all that likely the team in the Pac-12 is going to travel into SEC country and come out a winner. That just doesn't happen very much. And what we've said is, is you don't get credit for beating Pac-12 teams here in the SEC. Georgia doesn't get credit for beating Oregon, really. Uh, Florida doesn't get credit for beating Utah, even if Utah is the better overall team. It's still an SEC team playing at home. But it's about to be Florida going out to Salt Lake City, and that, my friends, uh, is likely not to go well. Odds makers certainly favoring uh, the Utes by a wide margin there. Here's what I think is also a very interesting point spread, especially given the fact that by the end of the year last year, South Carolina's playing pretty well. But in Charlotte, week one, neutral side game, a matchup we've seen early seasons in the past, you've got South Carolina and North Carolina. And right now, UNC's a slight favorite. They're a one-and-a-half point favorite against South Carolina. Now, a lot of that probably relates to Drake May, the you know potential number one overall pick in next year's NFL draft, or certainly a very high first-round pick uh, in next year's NFL draft. Maybe a lot of this is just sort of respect for May. But if you're South Carolina, this is the kind of game you need to win because Tar Heels play zero defense. At least they have played zero defense. And, you know, while Spencer Rattler is probably not a quarterback in the same category of a Drake May, this is supposed to be one of the real weapons that South Carolina has going for it. Uh, a veteran quarterback like Rattler, who really showed you a lot last year, especially late in the season, the Tennessee game, the best example of that. But this is a guy who I think has a chance to make kind of an, an additional name for himself in the SEC that may not have existed for him a year ago because it's a Bryce Young, it's a Stetson Bennett, it's a Hendon Hooker league. There were a lot of quarterbacks in the SEC a year ago that aren't there anymore. This is an opportunity for Spencer Rattler this year, and at least holding your own against Drake May would be a pretty good step in that direction. But no matter what the equation that equals this is, South Carolina needs to beat North Carolina week one, but right now they're listed as a slight underdog. Uh, another game of note worth kind of paying attention to here. So Tennessee against Virginia. Tennessee is a 27-point favorite there against the Wahoos. Obviously, Virginia had an awful conclusion to their season with the uh, very sad circumstance involving the shooting there on campus. So some of the issue for Virginia has been unrelated to football. But on the just the Tennessee side of this and between the white lines here for a moment, one of the things we said about Tennessee a year ago is, is they could demonstrate themselves as a true contender. Because the truth is, we were probably a little higher on Tennessee to begin last season than some other people were. And one of the things I said I was looking for is, 
I wanted to see Tennessee handle business easily. When you're a 10-point favorite, can you find a way to win by 20? You know, if you're a touchdown favorite, can you find a way to win by 17? Can you win comfortably when the market sort of expects it to be somewhat close? And last year, Tennessee sometimes did that, sometimes kind of didn't. For the most part, I, I guess they did okay in that regard, probably on the road at LSU, the best example of them flexing there just a bit. But this is one of those games that if there's any remnant left from what Tennessee was a year ago as a team that was kind of top 10-ish, you know, fringe playoff contender is there any remnant of that left with now a new starting quarterback new crop of wide receivers and got a little bit of a change over to the program then dominating a team like Virginia is probably an example of that being a 27 point favorite finding a way to win by 35 you know that's a way you can really kind of show that hey this is a Tennessee team that's at least picking up in some form or fashion where it left off from a year ago so Tennessee Virginia to begin the season may not be you know all that uninteresting and then finally it's so funny this may be looked back on as as big a game as exists in the regular season. It's week one in Orlando, LSU against Florida State. Both these teams have been pretty active in the transfer portal. Florida State's been quite active in the transfer portal. And LSU right now listed as a two-point favorite against Florida State. Y'all, this is a fun game. Last year was a fun game there as well. We sort of thought kind of a quirky anomaly for an LSU team with a first-year coach and a Florida State team that was kind of fighting for some relevance. Well, as the season wore on, you realize you look back on it, wow, LSU and Florida State are both pretty good, and Florida State's win against LSU was really kind of a signature win. Well, this year you go into the game feeling like it's going to be really big, and I think it's going to be big for both sides because I think that LSU is a legitimate contender in the SEC. More on that next week. I think that Florida State is obviously a playoff contender in its own right, and this has a chance to be very, very fun. One more thing to get to here just for a moment. There's been a lot of weird college sports news over the course of the last few days. I want to highlight some of this here for a moment. First of all, the president of the University of Washington was quoted by Brett McMurphy, who now works the Action Network. His name's Kirk Schultz. And basically, the issue in the Pac-12 is, is that a previous media rights deal kind of overpaid some of the league's teams. And so now there's some new budgetary stuff coming in where these teams have to pay back some of that money there was like a little bit of a I don't know accounting error or something like that and so therefore the money coming in to each Pac-12 team in the future is actually going to be a little bit less than they anticipated it being so what uh, McMurphy reports is is that the Washington State president says is that the Washington State's going to have a temporary freeze on all current and future vacant positions in the athletic department until further review as well as a pause on non-essential travel purchases and new professional development because of significant decreases in Pac-12 revenue payments. So this is kind of a fancy way of saying Washington State is broke. Uh, (laughs) They don't have enough income to pay for their outgo right now. And I don't mind telling you this. This does not speak well for the future of the Pac-12. That if you've got a program like Washington State, even kind of a remote outpost type program, but nonetheless still a program in the Pac-12, and they are penny-pinching to this degree to the point where they're having to freeze uh, basically economic activity involving the athletic department. Boy, I don't know what that means to the future of the Pac-12, because keep in mind, you get the Big 12 and the Pac-12 right now kind of fighting for a media rights deal at roughly the same time. And the dream scenario for both leagues is to sort of poach schools from one of the other leagues. And a lot of the sort of the fancy people in the media, you know, the, uh, you know, the national media types, uh, coastal elite types, have sort of been under the assumption that it was the Pac-12 who was in a position of power and strength to basically leverage a better deal for itself than the Big 12 does, or if one league was going to steal from the other, it was going to be the Pac-12 stealing from the Big 12 for, I guess, whatever reason. Uh, A lot of sort of rank-and-file fans have sort of thought that was kind of an 
a statement unsupported by facts. And I think this issue here with uh, Washington State suggests that because the real value here is what they call the four corner state schools. This would be Utah. This would be Colorado. This would be both schools from Arizona. That those schools could move and go to a different league. And what it creates for, let's say that the Arizona schools, Utah, uh, uh, Colorado, go to the Big 12. In the case of Colorado, be going back to the Big 12. What that would create for the Big 12 is another TV window. You could play games at 9 or 10 p.m. Eastern time, and you could have an entirely different, I guess, category of uh, inventory for for television, which would make the Big 12 a little bit more lucrative, a little bit more valuable. I'm not saying this story alone suggests that these schools are going to leave the Pac-12, but it certainly is worth following. Can the Pac-12 hold itself together when you've got these kind of financial issues being reported by one of the league schools? That's certainly worth paying attention to. Speaking of, I guess now the former Pac-12, we didn't mention this, but we probably should, the fact that Mike Bone, the USC athletic director, has resigned. Now, there's all kinds of accusations about kind of how he chose to run the athletic department, some of the things he was, I guess, alleged to said to employees, things like that. I honestly don't know that one way or another. But USC's move to the to the Big Ten, the hiring of Lincoln Riley. This was supposed to be a little bit of a signal that USC was now ready to kind of play at the professional level again after a good number of years, which this program was a little bit, I mean, the athletic department in general, was a little bit of a laughingstock and and not exactly the most buttoned-up professional bunch. And out in the Pac-12, that didn't really matter because the Pac-12, frankly, has had a pretty odd era here, you know, uh, where you're left to wonder, does this conference even care about athletics? Uh, and so, you know, USC not exactly being buttoned up, not exactly being professional. That didn't really matter too much because, you know, they were in kind of a goofy league to begin with. Well, now they want to be in the Big Ten. Now they, now they want to kind of bring the L.A. market to the Big Ten. There's more expectations for USC. And to have an athletic director resigning just before making that move, that in itself is uh, pretty strange here. So I don't really know much to say about, you know, kind of what's next for USC but this is not a good look for a team and a program in transition getting ready to move to the Big Ten. And then finally, speaking of the Big Ten, I'll also mention this there as well. You may have seen the thing where, speaking of TV deals and stuff like that, a lot of Big Ten teams unhappy with a deal that Kevin Warren was in the midst. This is the former Big Ten commissioner now, who we think is a total mediocrity. Uh, but um, Warren negotiating this deal with NBC, and apparently the promise on the part of the Big Ten was a lot more primetime games which the Big Ten teams don't like doing in November because it's cold weather. So, once again, the business of college athletics is going to come to the forefront in a way that not everybody loves here. And apparently not everybody in the Big Ten kind of happy with the ongoing negotiations as NBC becomes a little bit of a TV partner for the Big Ten. Some of those games airing on Peacock, things like that. Uh, A little bit of unrest there in the Big Ten right now, the new commissioner taking over. So, maybe worth following that there as well. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And as we wrap up here today, uh, let's give you a golden shoe. Obviously, a lot of Georgia fans loving the era of Georgia football in which we're in, which there's so much evidence of the great success that Georgia has had. Jacob Yarbrough shared this. He says, our office shrine finally starting to come together. And we're hoping to add some more memorabilia this year. How about a golden shoe shout-out? No doubt worthy of that. Hashtag golden shoe indeed for Jacob Yarbrough. You see all kinds of great memorabilia magazines and photos and framed items celebrating a great level of success for Georgia. How good does it feel to have gone for two and 22 with big things expected here for the future there as well. Jacob, good stuff. Golden shoe coming your way on that. And also we believe here on this show that a good Georgia fan is a Gator hater first and foremost. And every single day we pay homage to that with our Gator hater countdown. 158 days from right now, Georgia back in Jacksonville beating up on Florida again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see you tomorrow.